Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are discussing the creeds. So let's get started. Hey, Lindsay. Uh, again, always good to be with you and to be able to uh, reflect on, on, on a number of things that a lot of times we take for granted when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our Catholic traditions. And as you mentioned, uh, today we're going to talk a bit about the creeds, uh, the two primary oh, ones. Well, well, there's more. There are more. And oh. uh, there are, there's one called the Athanasius Creed, and there are a couple of others, but those are the three primary uh, the Athanasius Creed, uh, we really aren't going to talk about much other than it's very long. It, it has a number of parts of the other two creeds. I don't think I've even heard of that one. It's, it's out there. It's rarely used except by a very small group. The, the two creeds that we, we primarily want to reflect on a bit uh, are the Apostles' Creed, as we have come to know it, and the Nicene Creed, which really is a misnomer because it actually should have been called the Constantinople Creed, but history as it is sometimes changes things around. <laughs> it's, you know, you got you to gotta love you know, this stuff. You just got to love this stuff. It's how history uh, evolves. Yes. Uh, again, as I mentioned, that the two basic are the, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Um, when you think about uh, these creeds, um, and some because some form of these creeds are used or an expression of them are used in, in um, virtually every Sunday liturgy that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it is not the actual creed itself that we pray, it will be the, the blessing by water, renewal of baptismal promises, which, by the way, the renewal of baptismal promises is a form of creed. And it's probably one of the earliest forms of the creed that we have because it has its, its origin is rooted in the scriptures and in many of the uh, Pauline uh, communities and in the community of Mark and Matthew where there is a, a Trinitarian uh, sta- you know, s- statement of, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Those are all beginnings of, of the creeds. Those are some of the origins that we have. Oftentimes, what happens when we when we think about the creeds, um, we may or may not have it memorized. <laughs> and you and, can tell if the creed's not on the wall, especially the Nicene Creed. That is <laughs> that is very true. You can um, because a lot of times, because of its length or who knows why. Um, uh, we can find ourselves zoning out, uh, as it was expressed to me. I usually zone out during that long prayer. Mm. Not exactly what you want to hear. During the homily? Oh. No, 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 that's... No, no, sorry. No, 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 no. never, they never. zone out then, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, though, if you're doing the creed and you're not 100% sure which one is which, and you start saying one, <laughs> you could veer off into the other one. Oh, Easily. So that's why people kind of mumble, I think. That's why I mumble sometimes. Easily done. <laughs> Easily done. And I purposely don't memorize some of those kinds of things because it is too easily it is too easy 
to fall into a routine of it's like get ready, get set, go, mm-hmm. and you do, and you have no clue what you just said. Hear that, people? He said, "Don't memorize." Don't memorize it. <laughs> I pray it, <laughs> and that's why even if you know this during the mass, I will have either a missalette or a a binder in front of me, mm-hmm. because I what I want to do is I want to be able to pray it rather than memorize it. Now, it, just a little bit of an aside, like I've ever done that before. Never. Is that I know any number of guys that have memorized the, the Eucharistic prayers. Oh, my gosh. And I could see that. You do it so often. You do. Yeah. I have, I have made a very deliberate attempt not to do that. <laughs> Because, it's one, I will use different ones rather than just using the same one. Uh, two, again, it is too easy to fall into a almost a robotic recitation of it. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting when I go to different Masses. I mean, obviously, how a priest prays the Mass is important to me. And there are times when when you really do feel that they just switched on a, a a recording, and they switch it off because it's it's memorized. Mm. I, I I struggle with that because I, I really uh, find that uh, for me it's it's important to pray these prayers, and that means to be deliberate, to to slow down, to break it sometimes, um, to be able to whether it's the creed or any number of prayers, it's to be able to let what you are praying sink in. Mm -hmm. And that's really with the creed. When you think about when you're praying, either one of the two creeds we want to talk about a little bit is that you are saying so much more than what you're saying. These creeds really speak to a depth, ones of history. They speak to a depth of, of what it means to be a person of faith. We're going to talk a bit about that. Um, and these creeds, uh, the pri- two primary ones here, have virtually been unchanged for centuries. Um, and, and part of that is, is because the creeds, in, in a manner of speaking, cut to the chase. It's not about, and, and because history has, has painted, you know, a bit of a different picture, that the creeds were not standard. They, they were very much uh, unique to each parish uh, or to each uh, archdiocese or whatever, each bishop. Uh, they were unique. And it wasn't until many centuries later that they were actually standardized. Otherwise, each church would have its own creed. I mean, that makes sense. You yeah. didn't have books and or like printing presses right? and things like that for a long time. So, but but the other part of that was, as though it may have had you know common threads and themes in them, is that they were expressing a faith as this area, let's say, had come to know it, mm-hmm. and how a rural community would express faith was going to be different than how an urban community would express it. How an Eastern church would express it would be different than how a Western church would express it. Mm-hmm. So these creeds, they really, uh, they were really expressions of communities. Uh, much later on, were they, did they begin to be much more standardized and to where, you know, as we have come to know it, a creed is something that pretty much everybody 
says basically the same mm-hmm. thing. Sometimes I think at Mass you should just change the cadence of the creed oh. <laughs> and freak people out, and then that would really make them think about what it, they're saying. It would, it would, yes, it would, it would switch it up. <laughs> There's no question. It would switch it up. The creeds are, are important. Just, to, for example, in the catechisms of, of the Catholic Church, almost 300 pages are spent just on the creed. Oh and breaking it down in its elements of what it means, what it's saying, what it's expressing. And, and you'd want to say almost at times to people, I want you to read these 300 pages so that when you pray that prayer is that, you are you are growing in an understanding of what you're praying. They're zoning out during the creed. They're going <laughs> to z- zone out in those 300 pages. Uh, probably. Uh, but it's like telling somebody when you make the sign of the cross, read the 50 pages of where the sign of the cross comes from and what that means. That could be another podcast. Um, <laughs> but but it's, it's rec- recognizing that as, as is very normal uh, in the Catholic Church, the prayers that we pray so often have, have multiple levels of meaning. And that was the whole point. As you had just mentioned, you didn't have books. You didn't have the written word. Is that you had to be able to give people something that they could easily remember and engage in in order to, to express or in order to grow in an understanding of what this meant to be a person of faith, to be a member of the Catholic faith. So you had the prayers, you had the rituals, you had the stained glass windows, all of which at some point, you know, we've kind of been talking about here, Mm -hmm. that it goes so much more beyond than just the face value. There's good and bad in that. One, the good piece being is that it does at times engage people's imagination and such. The bad being is sometimes we can lose so much of the richness that's behind it and we can at times lose a sense of appreciation of, of, of what it means and, and what it can say and how, it can, uh, how we can embrace that in our, in our daily lives. So the catechism you know, really does cover an awful, awful lot. As I mentioned before, with just a bit of the, uh, the origins of the creeds, is that um, uh, many of the, the very, very first origins are the baptismal formulas that were being used in, in the scriptures. Uh, again, we find it in First and Second Corinthians. We find it in Timothy. Uh, we find it in Mark and Matthew. Uh, go out to the world baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, that is a creed, a short one, but it is nonetheless a creed. Uh, and the creeds that we have today that we call the creed are, are literally based and contain many of these uh, original uh, expressions mm-hmm. of what it meant to be a, uh, a person of faith. Which one's older? The Apostles' Creed. Okay, that's that, what I would assume. Yeah, that is the older one. Uh, Did the Apostles come up with it? Yes, it is based, well, yes and no, in the sense that it is based on what we know of what the apostles would have taught and and such when they were. So it is rooted in their teachings, which we find from the scriptures, we find from Jesus, we find, you know, in those beginning letters and other pieces of information that we are aware of. So, yes, it is rooted in the teachings of the apostles. A little ironic that that's the shortest one, and that's rooted in the teachings of the apostles, and then you get longer once the church... (laughs) But... 
You know, it's interesting, though, kind of a rule of thumb is the shorter, it's most probably the more original. For an example, the oldest Eucharistic prayer is number two. Hmm. Many people presume it's it's the first one. Sure. Mm-mm. Number two, and again, that you have to, What one thing you have to kind of recall is that these were simple folks. Mm-hmm. Um, their theology, how they expressed it, you know, was very simple. So, for an example, when you think about uh, the, the the commandments, they or or the law, you know, Jesus expresses it: love God above all else, love neighbor as self. The Jewish tradition and such would have had six hundred some laws. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so called when, Deuteronomy. Well, yes, that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the Decalogue which, you know, there are several different forms of that in the scriptures, is that what you have is that oftentimes the shorter something is, it's most probable that that is the more original because it is very simply expressed. Mm -hmm. It would have been simply memorized if if they wanted to, and they would have certainly memorized things Mm -hmm. as stuff became more and more standardized. And, And these manuscripts... Uh, for example, bits and pieces of the creed or bits and pieces of the of the original Eucharistic prayers. These are these are the ones that are found in some of the oldest manuscripts that we have. As your theology develops, so does right, then you pack more in. Exactly. So your creed gets longer. It has to address maybe a heresy. It has to address a particular uh, community or group. It has. The more you try to pack in because your your thought process, processes, your philosophies are all developing. And this is one way that someone can finally uh, recognize that, you know, this, this is truly a, something, a truth. This is something we embrace and something we behold. That in the early centuries, this was very simply expressed very simply expressed, Mm -hmm. and uh, certainly was not nearly as developed as you would find, for example, in the Nicene Creed, a much greater development, and then the Athanasian Creed, a much, much uh, bigger development, and it's it's probably two to three times as long as the Nicene is. I mean, you could never... Did it come from Athens? No, it's Athanasius. Oh, so it, a person. It is, yes, presumed that it was based on, on the uh, theology and philosophy of St. Athanasius. Oh. Yeah. For those of you that knew, there was a St. Athanasius, Athanasius double points. <laughs> Indeed, isn't that, isn't that the truth? Um, so going back again, saying, so the creeds generally weren't all that long till you get <laughs> the ones that are more developed. And... Um, because they got to the root of the faith. The other piece to this goes back to the first council in Jerusalem. That whole argument, what are we going to expect of the Gentiles who are coming in? One side says they have to become Jews, and they have to learn the rules of the Jews, the laws of the Jews, the rituals of the Jews, and they all have to be circumcised. The other says, side says, no, 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 no. The new law is based in Jesus Christ, not in the Jewish tradition. 
as rich and as wonderful as that is. And so you have Paul and his ilk saying, no, this is not right. The spirit is not going to be controlled by groups of laws and tradition and all of that, is that the Spirit has already acted in experience of Peter, where the Spirit comes upon the people before they've been baptized. And Peter then, well, we better get them baptized now. Um, so it's it's looking at that, and, and they had to sort out that what is oftentimes referred to as the First Council in Jerusalem. They had to sort out what is essential, what is essential? And get rid of all of the other stuff. Interesting question that I've asked different classes or uh, people that I've in formation groups that I've worked with and such. Is that if someone came to you and said, I want to become Catholic. What five things would you say they have to embrace in order to be Catholic? Amazing what people come up with. And usually what they come up with are traditions of the church, certainly, and long-standing, but not essential to be a person that would be <laughs> baptized. Because it's not something that is absolutely essential. Sometimes they don't even make mention, well, you have to believe in Christ Jesus. And that's not even mentioned. You have to say the rosary. <laughs> it's like, well, no. Um, and, and again, that's nothing against the prayer, but it's it's being able to boil down even for folks what what is essential for us to be Catholic. And as I mentioned, too often we get caught in the traditions over the years or personal pieties. Mm -hmm. But what we miss sometimes is what is are the essentials. And that's what our CIA people at times wrestle with, which, by the way, creeds in the beginning and even to this day is at some point... You know, as if you are approaching baptism as an adult, uh, you have to profess the creed. And so when, when you look at that, is that people, you know, in the RCIA saying that you cannot expect a person who wishes to be Catholic, that somehow they would know everything that someone who has been Catholic for 30, 40, or 60 years... Somehow they have to know all of that in, in let's say, in, a, in the six, eight, ten months that, that they are going through the RCIA process. But it's the difference between what is essential and what is tradition mm -hmm. and what is what are personal pieties. So really just stick a creed in front of them and say, if you can say yes to all of this stuff, you're good? Yeah, pretty much so. Pretty much so, yes. Pretty much so. Um, because it, it's, a, it's a profession of faith. Now... Having said that, when we talk about the creeds, the creeds are rooted in faith. There are characteristics of the Christian faith that when I say yes to the creed or I embrace that creed, I am saying yes to these characteristics. And these are things that, um, that would be held and would be taught in some manner, manner, shape, or form. And there are just a, a couple of these characteristics I want to mention because they really do, again, that's part of that, the creed speaks of so much more depth. And I'm, again, these go on, can go on for pages. <laughs> I'm just going to mention them very briefly. Uh, first characteristics is that one commits themselves completely and wholly to God. You know, a body, soul, intellect, 
everything. You are committed to God. To believe um, is twofold in that. It re is a reference to person and to the truth. So to believe, to be a person of faith, it is in reference to the person of Jesus and to the truth that was given to Jesus by his Father. So it's, it's twofold. Uh, to believe uh, is that you believe in no one but God. You believe in no one but God, Father, Son, Spirit. Now, many of these things are expressed in the creed mm -hmm. in, in sometimes abbreviated form, sometimes a little bit more uh, in a lengthy situation. To believe, number four, fourth point is, um, faith is a divine gift from God. Uh, one is not able to to be a person of faith without the grace, the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Faith um, is, is a human act, uh, conscious and free. One cannot, must never be forced, cannot even be forced to be a person of faith. Um, unfortunately, our own church history shows that we try too often to force it yeah. upon people. Um, yeah, that, that's a whole nother. That's another one. That's another, another part of our, our history. Yeah. Is that believing, believing in a sense is a human act must always be done uh, with a free and deliberate conscience. Believing is also a church act. One does not believe in a vacuum. It's, not, it's never about me and God, me and Jesus. It's about me, Jesus, and the community. Faith is possible within the community. It has to have so somehow. Like, what, capital C, not little c, yes. church? Yes, yes. So it's uh, uh, believing, so it's not only a human act, it is also a church act, an ecclesial act, they Not would church say. building act. No, no, an ecclesial yes. act. People of God act. <laughs> okay. Um, but then that begs the question, aren't you supposed to be good, nice, kind to everyone, so not just people of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if the, in a sense, if the people of God, the church, is, is supporting us, it enables us to do that. Mm, okay. Is that, you know, uh, it, it, unfortunately, again, part of history, where we believed that only Catholics we're going to get in is that to heaven to heaven is that uh, we no longer believe that or teach that and that what it meant to believe in Jesus what it meant to be a person who expressed the creed recognizes or hopefully recognizes that what it means to be church is first of all bigger than Catholic church and that if that Catholic church or that church sense of people of God is truly part of our lives, which it, we believe it needs to be, it enables us to, to engage, to go out to all of those other people that may not be part of this particular group. Mm -hmm. Okay? Never in a vacuum. It also states that uh, what we would might term, we believe in all, that is, all of the Word of God, whether written, handed down, uh, expressed through, you know, through uh, oral tradition, that we, we believe it and we embrace that, and we believe what has been divinely revealed. Now, that's different than, than sometimes those who are, tend to be more 
uh, solo scriptura, only the scriptures, is that we certainly believe the scriptures are the inspired word of God. But we would also believe that there are four key ways that the divine reveals itself. Scripture, certainly, that's primary. The magisterium, that is the, that's the teaching branch of the church. Um, science, divine will is revealed in, in all the sciences. And the divine will is revealed through personal experience. There are churches that don't believe that. It is solo scriptura, only the scriptures. We, when we talk about believing, we believe that things are divinely revealed in other ways. And so, and, and so you know, that is part of what it means to embrace this church, this creed that we express. We believe faith, another characteristic of faith, that it's necessary for salvation. That somehow we are connected, you know, with, with Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, how? That's not necessarily uh, easily described or expressed, but I have at times expressed it that just because we don't know who opened a door doesn't mean we can't walk through. And, and somebody said, well, what if you don't believe in Jesus? I said, there are a lot of folks out there that don't believe in Jesus. Jesus opened the door. It is God who provides opportunities for us to walk through. And just because we don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior doesn't mean we can't walk in. And so it's bigger, again, it's bigger than sometimes the smallness that we have used over time. <clears throat> um. And one other aspect uh, <clears throat> that faith, uh, in the final character, that faith is a foretaste, we believe, of that which will make us blessed or bring us joy in the kingdom. You know, when we celebrate Eucharist, when we, when we grow in that love of neighbor, love of God, that this is a foretaste of what we can expect in the kingdom. So when we pray these creeds, you know, we are praying all of that. And, and like I said, that's the downside sometimes when things become compact and compressed. Uh, sometimes we can lose uh, what might be, uh, what also is being expressed when we, when, when we say we believe. And sometimes, you know, it's, well, you know, uh, I don't have to believe what the church teaches. Well, not everything, because not everything is divinely revealed. But when a person says, I pray the creed, or expresses the creed, they are saying that I embrace what is divinely revealed. We are a human church. Sometimes we don't get it right. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that somehow... We have purposely, you know, led people down a path of sin or anything like that. But what we are open to is that the Divine One continues to reveal to us the truths that are out there. And over time, we come to know that, that, that base or that foundation of truth, but we come to know it in, in, in broader and broader and broader terms. And as these things grow in an awareness or as we grow in an awareness as the church grows in its awareness 
uh, then we grow also in our understanding. But that also means then we grow in the sense of what this creed is expressing. So it's it, there's a, there's a, there's a lot there. So it's it's not just a memorized prayer. <laughs> it's just so much more, so much more. To start with, just with the Apostles' Creed, I want to take each of them because each has has a little bit of uniqueness in them. Um, in a way, it's the Apostles' Creed rooted in the teachings of the Apostles. This is the oldest, you might say. This is the grandfather, grandmother of, <laughs> of, of creeds. Um, there are those who would say and express, I think accurately, it's the epitome of Christian doctrine. In its simplest form. Wow, that's a big, yeah. big thing to say. In its simplest form. That's why it gets rid of all of the stuff that can so easily be attached to it. Um, and like consubstantiation? All of those kinds of things. I mean, yeah. Is that it, it, before all of that existed, it goes back down to the beginnings of the apostles. They would they would have no concept what consubstantiation was. Still not sure I have a concept <laughs> well, of what consubstantiation it, is. is it, you know, it's, that, that goes for a lot of folks. <laughs> but they knew, they knew Jesus. They knew him personally. They knew, and, and they not only knew him personally while he walked the earth, they experienced him in, in, you know, after post-resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, they experienced him, and there was a difference because, uh, and, and saying, well, how do you know there was a difference? Because if there hadn't been a difference post-resurrection, then why didn't they recognize him? And, and virtually every scripture has the fact that they don't recognize who he is at first. And he has to say, you know, put your hand in my side. Give me a fish to eat. I am not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I am the risen one. And so it's, you know, so when you think about all of that, consubstantiation wasn't even a concept that was there yet of how we, you know, the Western Church particularly and the Eastern to a point, is that how we philosophically, intellectually, and all of those other lees <laughs> that we tried to do because there were all sorts of, of issues, um, heresies, uh, misunderstandings that somehow we try we try so hard to define it but like anything try to hold and squeeze sand in your hands the harder you squeeze the more that comes out because it is not something that you can grasp with a human concept a human term it no matter what terms we use and even with the creed no matter what term you use it will always express inadequately so what you're trying to express. And even the Apostles' Creed, as short as it is, it was, you might say, the best boiled down, it was the best expression over decades and centuries, it was the best expression that they had of what this meant to believe, of what it meant to be a person of faith. The Apostles' Creed in, way, in many ways, in 12 articles, and if you kind of take each line, 12 articles. One um, for each apostle, or is that just... Creed? No, that just happened to just turn out happened. that way. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, it contains the truths taught by the apostles. 
and and it's it's so you it's kind of almost you take each line i believe in god i believe in jesus i believe in the spirit i believe in the church and there are 12 basic lines of that is that um we know uh from research and such that this apostles creed existed in about the second century so that would be in the 100s so when you think about it is that you know the apostles and such <clears throat> obviously would have lived years after jesus that in the beginning they were teaching and all of that there was no creed per se what it was is that the apostles because they were alive or until the very last one died which we believe i think it, it just escapes me that until the last one died they would have always gone back to the primary source and that would have been the apostles so it's when the apostles were starting to fade out over years and that could have been 50 some years or so it's when they start to fade out that they're thinking we can't forget what they taught and so you gather that together it's just like writing the scriptures themselves we must not forget what we have learned mm -hmm. and so this really contains the truths taught by the apostles it existed since like i said the 100 second century it's been, it was first referred to um, in texts, uh, written texts and such. It was first referred to uh, in about the 4th century, where we started to see it written out. Hmm. Now, we say, well, you know, why so long? One, paper would have been, expre been expensive. But two, I think even more importantly, everyone would have memorized this. Everyone would have memorized This is not something that you would have... You know, taken lightly, you would have memorized this. Uh, not to mention is that the creed was oftentimes, the, the Apostles' Creed, or some form of it, oftentimes was used as a password mm. so that a community would know that you're authentic. You know, it's like, what's the password? I believe in God the Father, you know, that type of thing. Is that that way the Romans wouldn't have known that? You know, non-Christians wouldn't have known. Jews wouldn't have known that. This was this was used, you might say, as as your badge of your authentic, you being authentic, that you would be able to pray the entire creed. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that would have been easily forgotten, and eventually, though, written down, you know, to be passed on for generations to come. Initially, as I mentioned, and, and particularly with the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed always had a kind of a, a body to it, you know. But as I mentioned that, um, the initially creeds were more local, um, depending upon your ethnic background, depending upon your, uh, your cultural milieu, those kinds of things. They would be expressed in a more local way as opposed to a standardized form. It was in the, uh, the ninth century that, so the 800s, that Charlemagne um, imposed uniformity, and that was his big thing. He believed as emperor that everything had to be uniform. And so uh, it's during that ninth uh, century that he began to demand, uh, yeah, demand uniformity. And because he was pretty much in charge or had such tremendous influence in the church mm -hmm. and all of that, is that not only was the uniformity 
across the board culturally, societally, but the uniformity also tended to take place in the church. Hmm. And so this is now... So is that where we finally get the universal Catholic Church, essentially? Yes. When it, you start, when, yeah, the, when, the Roman, uh, when the Roman emperor becomes the Holy Roman Emperor, hmm. and those things, ha- that's now where you start... Um, now it's your Catholic or your Christian or you die. Yes. Those who were out are now in, mm-hmm. and those who were in are now out. And you are going to do it our way because we have an army that will back us up, and you don't. Oh, a little bit of our good history there. Yeah, it's all, all part of it, all part of it. Though the Apostles' Creed was universal in the Western Church, the Roman-controlled Church, mm-hmm. it was virtually unknown in the Eastern Church. Hmm. Okay, so he just, again, it was, it was in some today. ways... Or do they oh use no no! It today? today, today it is it is well known. Hmm. It is not as accepted as the Nicene Creed. Really, and uh, there are reasons for that. Um, but now it's it's one of the two that are mostly accepted by almost all. Um, not only you know your your Eastern and Western churches, but also by many of your mainline uh, Protestant churches, hmm. where they will uh, also, and by the Orthodox. Um, <clears throat> so. It's uh, a part of that part of our history is is how that comes about. If we we go um, to the Nicene Creed, this was the dominant creed um, of the of the Eastern churches, and uh, for a number of reasons because of of uh, because of just the disagreements theologically, but it became eventually the norm for orthodoxy um, in that it was a test that if you were orthodox, you would profess this creed. Again, when you think of the Western churches, that it, it, uh, the, um, the creeds were not a test for, nor- for orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. They were expressions of how we believe, but it was certainly not a standard of whether or not you were orthodox. And what do you mean when you say orthodox? That you are teaching truly what the church teaches. That you were not going to be, uh, if you did not, uh, if you did not adhere to the creed in 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 the in Nicene and such, you would could be charged with heresy. You could be executed. You could be tortured. You could be excommunicated. It was the litmus test of nice. whether you were truly a member of the church or not. Now, when you think about some of this, is that the, you know, there was, during this time of the 8th, ninth centuries, that there were all sorts of her- heresies floating around. <clears throat> the one that the Nicene Creed particularly addressed was the Arian heresy, which was the denial of the divinity of Christ. And so... Did you say the Arian heresy? Arian. Like, you think of... You talk about Hitler? Well, no, that's a different, different spelling. Different type? Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, that's, that's a, what I think of when no, you no, say that. This okay, is from okay. Arius. Someone named Arius. Arius, yes. Okay, okay. He adhered... Jesus, people got to stop naming things. <laughs> I know. Okay. He adhered to the um, denial of the divinity of Christ. So what you had was that <clears throat> he, was not, he was not really divine. You know... Uh, 
He was a superman. He was, you know, somebody who was extraordinary, but he was not truly the son of God. Hmm. And so when you think about what the, uh, the Nicene Creed, you know, adheres to, it specifically speaks of, you know, uh, being of God, being divine. It's in direct uh, confrontation, you might say, of the, of the denial by Arius, uh, who had the heresy that denied the divinity. So like what year was this created or started to come into use? The Arian heresy uh, was into play in the early 300s. Okay. And in fact, it be- Arian heresy became so popular in the late 200s, early 300s that the uh, s- supposed place <laughs> of the Nicene Creed, where it was created and accepted, was in the city of Nicaea, and where there was a council that was held in 325 A.D. And that council was called specifically to deal with the Arian heresy, and how were they going to combat that? And where was Nicaea? Do we know? Man, now you're asking. (laughs) Oh, no. uh, Wow, you'd have, now you're asking geography. Um, Hold on, let's Google. Yeah, yes, go right ahead. (laughs) All right. Was an ancient Greek city in northwestern Anatolia. Does it say what the modern day area Mm -hmm. is? Oh, modern Turkey. Modern Turkey, okay. Okay. All right. So modern Turkey. (laughs) I see a modern Turkey. Modern Turkey. Well, what happens is that there were several councils um, at that time, um, and but where the Nicene Creed that we know today, uh, the actual text we use today, was not created in Nicaea. Some of it was, but the edits and the changes and the form we had today, we have today, I should say, mm-hmm. was actually. Uh, formed in 381 in Constantinople. Was Istanbul? No. Con- is is it, now. Whatever. Is Istanbul is Constantinople. Yeah. It's Constant- is Istanbul. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> There's a song about it. Yes. Just look it up. <laughs> so is that it? So it was actually. It should be called the Constantinopolian f- Creed. Well, that'd be fun. Yes, because um, though it got some of its start there, the the actual text was was formed, shaped and formed in concept. This is going to be how we find out who actually listens to the podcast. One weekend, you're just going to say, we're going to do the Constantinople Creed. Creed. And we'll find <laughs> out who knows what that is. There were also a couple of minor changes, uh, again, because they were addressing theological issues in Chalcedon in 450. But nothing, uh, the, the, the text that we use, these were very, very minor. The text that we use is really comes from Constantinople. Hmm. Okay. Also Turkey. The, it's interesting how with the, um, with the creed, uh, that the, the Nicene Creed is accepted by not only Roman Catholicism, but by the Orthodox Church and by the Anglican Church, and by the major Protestant uh, churches. They're not so sure about the Apostles' Creed, 
But the Amicean Creed That's so weird. is more universal and is a little bit broader in its approach. Um, but wouldn't the Apostles' Creed be origin more original? So you'd think that they'd be... You would. Interesting. But politics being as it is in both culture and in church is that clarifications made in, in the Nicene Creed. Mm -hmm. Clarifications made it more universally acceptable. Now, Interesting. the um, Nicene Creed, um, it, it, bait, it basically, you know, in a sense, dates uh, from 586 in the East and was not regularly used until the 11th century in the Western Church. Again, lots of reasons in that it became a standard for orthodoxy. And at the time, East and West Church were, were fighting each other. Is that over time, though, as groups tried to build bridges between the two churches, particularly you know, East and West, is that the Nicene Creed eventually became somewhat the bridge. And even today... As more and more efforts are being made to, to bring the churches closer together, rather than, and many experts are saying, rather than trying to create a new creed, is that more and more experts are saying, let's go back to the ancient ones. And let's go back to the very basics and ask yourself, what is wrong with that? And maybe that's the way we bridge uh, between East and West churches, between Orthodox and non-Orthodox, between you know other Christian traditions and, and all of those groups that somehow embrace Christianity. And so there's, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. And it's getting there. I mean, the hope... Uh, John Paul II, one of his hopes was is that... <clears throat> the uh, Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church and some of the branches of Christianity, <clears throat> excuse me, that we would be able to have a common communion. And part of that is, is working, you know, again, with your basic statements of faith. So you, it's part of your creed. As common so, communion as, as in, in receiving communion. Receiving communion. Eucharist. Oh, it is. Yes. Sounds like it. Okay. Yes. Um, it didn't happen, unfortunately, but I think as, as some commentators have, have said that we just weren't ready yet. You'd think after a few hundred years we would be, but we just weren't ready yet. However, uh, there are those that will say that if and when we do get ready, it'll have a lot to do with how we are able to profess our faith, go back to the basics, rather than start at how we dress something up. Let's go back to the skeleton that, that mm -hmm. creates it in the first place. Um, I suppose if you can agree on the most basic parts, that's where your conversation yeah, starts exactly. from. Exactly. I, I may have mentioned this before. A professor of mine who taught us liturgy, the, the liturgy, worship, he said, liturgy, worship, Eucharist has a skeleton. If you keep the skeleton, you can dress it up in any way you want. But the skeleton will always be there. You can't cut off a leg or an arm and say you got the skeleton. That's not liturgy. And I think the same in many ways stays with, 
when it comes to, you know, the creeds and such, is that you'll go back to the basics rather than how it was all dressed up, rather than how it necessarily had to, you know, address a heresy or all of that, is to go back to the basics and, and we'll find that we have a whole lot more in common than we do differences. And to begin then to use these creeds not only as statements of faith, you know, in, in our worship, but to be able to uh, use these statements of faith in our regular prayer life and in our ecumenical efforts of how we start to bring, you know, the uh, churches together and how we start to address the scandal of a broken Christian church. And that to the world is a scandal, that we are a broken Christian church, that we can't come together and we cannot even agree on who Jesus is. And, you know, when you think about that, if we are truly, I believe, to, to bring that message to the world, as Jesus says, we need to get our act together first. Because we certainly, in so many ways, we are not following what the Master asked of us. We can't even pray together, not to mention to bring the message to the church. Yikes. So, so All the, right. creed. the creed. Lots there. We're going to leave it there yes. for this week. Um, see you in church when we do the Constantinopolitan <laughs> Creed or whatever. Um, or try it in a different cadence, see what happens. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed that, and we will see you next time.